Well, it is great to have everybody here today as we continue our series, Walking Through the Eight Beatitudes of Jesus, entitled Rethink Happiness. I see many of you have your study guides in front of you. If you are new and didn't get one of those, there might be a couple left at the Connection Center. You can check that out after the service. I know we were getting pretty, pretty low, but uh, uh, we're having a great time during these 60 days of spiritual growth, asking the question, what does it mean to truly be happy? And more importantly, even than that, is what does it look like? Like to live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and lead like Jesus. So we're going to continue that with Beatitude number three here today. Now, let's start by asking a question. If you were to fill in this sentence, happiness is dot, 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 how would you respond? Happiness is dot, dot, dot. I'll, I'll tell you how I respond. Happiness is a couch too small. Take a look at this picture. We got a couch in our house that's very, very full. We have extra family at our house these days, as you've heard me say, and uh, we're just loving it. It's great. So here you have uh, uh, Prince uh, Rowan, uh, my two-and-a-half grandson, surrounded by Papa, Grandma Sisa. We've got uh, Rex, the Wonder Dog. We've got little Remy, the puppy there, Uncle Britt, and then Namonga right around the corner. But, oh, we're having fun, snuggling up there all together and having a ball. Happiness is dot, 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 introducing you to my brand new granddaughter. There she is. Did I tell you I'm a grandpa? Have I mentioned that before? Is she not the most beautiful girl in the history of all creation? Get ready for unashamed, unrelenting papa bragging for the next millennia. Are you guys ready? And how good to know that mommy's doing great, baby Liliana's doing great, and Daddy was able to make it home for the birth. That's a big, big deal. So we're very, very excited about that. And uh, many of you know that Reggie was deployed, so we weren't sure that was going to happen. And one more. Happiness is the first annual Big Brother hike through the deep, dark forest. That's right. Rowan, my two-and-a-half-year-old grandson, and Papa, and Rex, our scout dog, went into the back, deep, dark forest, looking for Brad. We've been talking about Brad for weeks and weeks and weeks, and we went deep into the dark forest, and the two words that Rowan said to Papa over and over again was, hold me, hold me, hold me. (laughs) Because when you're really short, and the fallen trees are really kind of big, and the overgrowth and, uh, and everything is a little bit tough. You need someone a little bit bigger to carry you. So we made it deep, deep into the Northwest Territory. It was very treacherous. We were trailblazing, pioneering brand new country. And Rex was out front showing us the way. And we made it to a trail. And the trail took us to a clearing. And the clearing turned out to be a park, but we never found Brad. Who is Brad, you say? Brad is our friend, the owl, that we hear every night. And we talk about Brad, and we tell stories about Brad. And that's the story about Brad, the end. (laughs) You know, when you think of happiness, isn't it true? Most of it revolves around people. I mean, I've just told you three little stories, and it's all about people. It's all about family. I mean... There's really nothing more important in all the world to us than, than the people in our lives, our family, our close friends, extended family, people we work with, things of that nature. And today we're going to talk about respecting other people. The first two Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn, are all about our relationship with God. The third Beatitude, blessed are the meek, 
is all about our relationship with other people. If we don't have the first two right, it's going to impact the third one. We're going to do well. We're going to do better and better and better in respecting other people if we first have our relationship with God dialed in. So I want us to talk about that here today. You know, statistics say, and many people report this, that less and less people are happy today. An article by the Smithsonian and a study and research by the uh, University of Chicago reported by the AP says there's less people happy today. In fact, only 14% of people say they're happy. That seems so low to me. And whether it's true or not, we know there is an awful lot of unhappiness in the world today. I read a book here recently entitled The, the, uh, the Happiness Advantage, Seven Principles of Positive Psychology that Fuels Success and Performance at Work by Sean Aker, as taught in the Harvard's famed happiness course. It's a long title, but there it is. And it's a fascinating read because I tend to have this persuasion myself. Uh, it's better to live life with a positive mindset than a negative mindset. And we need to bring kind of a positive approach to life, a persevering, we can do, overcoming kind of a, an approach to life. And Aker kind of walks through this whole idea. And here's what he says. Uh, he says, uh, our most commonly held formula for success is broken, he writes. Conventional wisdom holds that if we work hard, we'll be more successful. And if we're more successful, then we're going to be more happy. If we can just find the great job, the next promotion, lose those five pounds, happiness will follow. And he says that's not the case at all. Rather, we need to bring happiness to everything in life. It's happiness that fuels success, not the other way around. When we are positive, our brains are more engaged, creative, motivated, energetic, resilient, and productive at work. This isn't just an empty mantra. We have proven this out over and over again. They go through all the data. He concludes by saying this. If success causes happiness, then every employee who gets a promotion, every student who receives an acceptance letter, and everyone who has ever accomplished a goal of any kind should be happy. But we know that's not true. With each victory, he says, what happens in reality is the goalpost moves. The goalpost of success keeps getting pushed out further and further and further, and happiness gets pushed out over the horizon. You see, friends, happiness is internal, not external. The whole message of the Beatitudes, Makarios, blessed, happy, Jesus says, happy are you if you do these eight things. Basically, he's saying, joy is internal. It's internal joy that is anchored in an eternal God. You don't get married to get happy. You don't you wait for a promotion to get happy. You don't hope for this, that, or the other thing to get happy. No, you find happiness as God, and you bring that to your marriage, and you bring that to your workplace, and you bring that to your educational process. That's what Jesus says. It's an internal joy. Start with your relationship with God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Get dialed in with God, Jesus says. If you're dialed in with God, it's going to set you up in your relationships with people. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who respect other people. Now, let's take a look at uh, what it means to be meek from kind of a 30,000-foot view. First of all, meekness equals humility. They're interchangeable. Those are basically synonyms. Um, we talked about in the Beatitudes, Jesus uh, gives us the eight Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, and we've mentioned that this is the quintessential teachings of Jesus Christ. 
The eight Beatitudes are expanded in the Sermon on the Mount, which is expanded in the Gospels, which is expanded through the rest of the New Testament. It is the quintessence. In fact, if Jesus were here, he would say, if you don't get anything else, make sure you get this. As far as my teachings are concerned, this is absolutely vitally important. And they're also sequential. I just alluded to the fact we need to make sure we understand blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn if we're ever going to understand blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who understand they desperately need a relationship with Jesus Christ. They desperately need to make peace with God through faith in Christ. We need to understand who we really are, and we desperately need a Savior. And blessed are those who mourn, who understand the devastation and destruction of sin and run from sin as fast and as far as we possibly can. Blessed are those who mourn or saddened by sin. And blessed are the meek. If we get our relationship with God right, our relationship with other people are going to be set up to succeed. If we don't get the first two, we're going to flounder. They're sequential, and they're also radical. The Romans didn't value humility, and neither did the Jews. The Jews had all of their self-made, man-made laws, and they thought if we do this, you know, we'll get there. We can get there on our own. You know, narcissism, hubris, egocentricism. It was the order of the day. And so when Jesus brought the message of the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, he was turning things upside down or really right, thing, right side up. So humility places things in proper order, Jesus says. It's God first, other second, self third. And yet we live in a culture that says self first, self second, and self third. Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's God first, then other people. And then you are third. You're in third place. That's what it means to be humble. Don't be haughty. Don't be hard-hearted. Don't be narcissistic. Don't be egocentric. Don't be prideful or arrogant. You want a better marriage, Jesus says? Be humble. You want better relationship with your kids? Be humble. You want better relationships at work with extended family in the neighborhood? Be humble. In this day and age where people are so quick to just, you know, take shots at each other on social media or otherwise. This is a powerful message for us who follow Christ to really take personal inventory of and ask ourselves, am I living like Jesus, loving like Jesus, and leading like Jesus? Am I truly living out meekness and humility? It's a great question to ask. Derwin Gray in his book, The Good Life, said, God's grace has a humbling power that will redirect your life. And I would say it this way, friends, when we accept Christ as Lord and Savior, the work of God's Spirit in us is all about one focus, and that is to transform us, to make us totally different. The grace of God at work in your life and mine is going to produce qualities, Christ-like qualities that we cannot you know, live up to on our own or we can't produce on our own. The grace of God wants to produce that in us. Now, we talked about how the teachings of the Beatitudes are quintessential and they're really fleshed out through the rest of the New Testament. Look uh, at all these verses that talk about humility. Paul says this, be completely humble and gentle. In another verse he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility value others above yourself. In Colossians he says, clothe yourself with humility. Over and over again, Paul is saying, humble, humble, humble yourself. Peter says, 
in 1 Peter 3.8, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Again, he says, clothe yourself, put it on intentionally, specifically, put on humility. James says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. It's an interesting, interesting thing in the New Testament. The way up is down. We descend into greatness. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, Jesus said, be servant. It says here, humble yourself and God will lift you up. Lower yourself to third place and God will lift you up. Powerful scripture. And then in the Proverbs and the Psalms, we read verses like this. Humility, with humility comes wisdom. Humility comes before honor. Psalm says, God will guide the humble. And we all need God's guidance in so many areas of our life. Now, I want us to just stop right here in the middle of this sermon. Right in the middle of this sermon, I want us just to stop. And I want us to remember and reflect. And then I want us to recenter our lives. I want you just to think for a moment, am I living out meekness? Am I living out the third beatitude? Am I living a humble life? Or does arrogance and pride and narcissism have too much room to roam in my heart and life and relationships? I want you just to think about it right now, right in the middle of this message. I want you just to, to, to recenter your life. A few months ago, Lisa handed me a book and said, you got to read this. This is really profound. And I read it, and I said, you're right, this is profound. It's a book called The Sabbath, written by Abraham Heschel. As a Jew, he writes about the profundity of the Sabbath for the Jews. And he talks about how the preparation for the Sabbath was as important as celebrating the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a huge, huge thing in the life of the Jews. And yet, even then, there were some Jews that just didn't really want to make room for God in their life. They didn't want to celebrate the Sabbath. You know, they, they basically wanted a Judaism without God, faith, or belief. The Sabbath interfered. God interfered. Heschel goes on to write, we need the Sabbath to survive civilization. Sanctifying the Sabbath is part of our imitation of God, but it also becomes a way to find God's presence. And he's writing as a Jew for Jews. And I just found it extremely profound on many levels, especially this one right here. And I alluded to it last week when I led us in the taking of Holy Communion. I said, every time we take Holy Communion, let's stop, remember the goodness of God, and recenter our life, anchor our life deep in Jesus Christ. We need to establish spiritual rhythms in our life where we stop and we remember and we recenter our life because life gets so hectic and so busy and we get flying so fast that we lose track of who we are and where we are, especially where we are in faith. And we need to recenter deep in Christ. And so find rhythms. Every Sabbath is a great one. And uh, you're here and here's an opportunity as I encourage you just to recenter your life. Jesus, I want more of you and less of me, more of you and less of me. You're number one. Others are second and I'm third. God, may I respect others in such a way that brings glory to your name. How I treat other people, Lord, says a lot about my spirituality. How I treat other people has a lot to do with how, how closely I'm following you. Am I living like you, loving like you, and leading like you? If so, I am going to respect other people as you have instructed me. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble. And the better we get at that, the better our marriages will be, the better our family relationships will be, the better all of our relationships will be. I know within the sound of my voice, as much as I know anything, that there are many, many people today 
in person, in the chapel service, in the other services coming up later today, people online, people up in the family room, people would say if they were honest, I am struggling in one relationship area or another. And we need to go back to beatitude number one, God, I need you. Beatitude number two, God, I need to run from sin. Beatitude number three, Lord, help me be meek and humble and respect other people with all that is within me. Recenter. We need to recenter our lives. We need to humble ourselves. God, help us. Now, what does it mean to be meek? In the last few minutes that we have here, I want to kind of take a look at meekness from three different angles. It's basically the same subject, but I want to touch on it from just three different angles. The first one we've already really talked about, but I'd like to just look at it just a little bit more, and that is to be meek means to be humble, to lower ourselves, to not value ourselves as much as we typically would. In fact, here's what, here's, here's what the Bible says. It says, to be humble is to eradicate pride and arrogance. Romans 12, 3, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. To be humble is to prefer others over yourself. 1 Corinthians 10, 24 says, nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Number three, to be humble is to value others first uh, after God. Value others above yourself. Number four, to be humble is to give others the best seat. Luke 14, 11, those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's the story that Jesus tells of ancient banquets and feasts where as you come, don't go to the, the, uh, you know, the head of the table and then be asked to go to the, the foot of the table. No, sit at the foot of the table. Humble yourself and you might be asked to sit at the head of the table. Humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself. Take a moment right now and just grade yourself on a scale of 1 to 10. You don't need to share it with anybody. Just in your own heart of hearts. If you are to grade yourself on how well you're doing at humbling yourself, would you give yourself a 10? I'm, I'm doing great. I am exactly as good as Jesus. Give yourself a 10. Uh, or would it be an 8 or a 7? I got room to grow. Or would it be a 5? I'm not doing all that great. Or would you say, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of narcissistic. Pride, arrogance gets in the way, and it's messing up my marriage. It's messing up my relationships at work. I am full of myself. Be honest. Admit your sin. That's what we talked about last time. Be honest. Give it over to God. Ask God to do a reworking of your inner spirit by his grace so that you are anchored deep in Beatitude 1 and 2, and you're able to be meek and humble and relate properly. Meekness and humility is... Not being stuck on self, but being stuck on other people. God help us, and God will help us. Look at Psalm 25, 9. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them the way. Now, this is a humble church. I loved, uh, Pastor John, the presentation about the Bethany Compassion Center Vision Night, which is coming up in just a few short weeks. I hope we can get a lot of people here. We're not doing a banquet. You know, we're not able to do those things as easily as we used to. So we're going to, you know, try to get everybody in here that we can. I'm hoping we get about 300 people and share the vision, get ready to climb the next part of the mountain as we continue year after year to build and strengthen our local outreach to our community. Nearly 30 ministry programs that are reaching out to people in need, the disenfranchised, the hurting, the needy. And friends, we are all a part of it as we pray, as we serve, as we give financially. This is a humble, giving, faithful, God first, other second type of church. 
Thursday night we uh, hosted the PRC event, Pregnancy Resource Center, which is an organization that we partner with in our community that helps uh, moms in a crisis pregnancy situation have options so they can make good choices. And uh, we were delighted to be a part of it. Uh, in fact, it was, it was kind of a, a funny sidelight. I was telling some of the staff and others about it. Um, I was asked if I would be willing to do the, do the big ask for the giving. And I said, well, sure, I'd be happy to. The person that was supposed to do it at the last minute couldn't. They had a family crisis. And I said, I'd be happy to do it. And then they said, oh, by the way, you're going to be following Bob Goff, who's our guest speaker. And if you don't know Bob Goff, he's, he's a prolific author and just an incredible communicator. And I thought, okay, now this is just getting a little bit tougher right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but, but it all went great, and uh, it was a great evening, a great event, and just a reminder that as a church family, we want to reach out and try to provide hope to people in every area of their walk of life. And to partner uh, through organizations like this, we do so much with the Everett Gospel Mission, just to try to provide hope and options and opportunity for people. This is a giving church, this is a humble church, and, and I pray that our community knows us as that. You know, that's a church down there. They love other people. That's a giving church. That's a humble church. That's a church that cares. That's the kind of church that we want to be. That's the church, kind of church that we are. Many of you prayed uh, for me a couple weeks ago. I shared with you the fact that uh, that coming Saturday I had a, uh, a funeral like I'd never had before. It was really for two people, two brothers who both uh, took their own lives. And because of COVID, everything had to be pushed about a year later. And so the dad called me, and man, that was tough. Hearing from the dad who is planning a funeral for two sons who took his life, took their lives. And many of you have come up and said, hey, how did it go? We've been praying, and I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Another example of a giving, loving, humble, others-first kind of church. And the funeral went as well as, as it could, and uh, it seemed to be a comfort to many. And uh, I encourage you to keep praying for the family, even though you don't know their name. Just pray that God will help them. This is a tough, tough time. I mean, those are just illustrations of the kind of people we want to be. We want to be about others. God first, others second, us third. How can we be a blessing? How can we be a help? And that translates into our own family. You know, uh, you know, the greatest husband is the husband that says, how can I be a blessing? How can I be a help? How can I serve? You know, the greatest spouse, you know, uh, parents, and on and on it goes. Friends, how can I be a blessing? How can I serve? How can I be a help? Blessed are the meek. We respect others. God first, others second. Self third. And you got to fight that a bit. Let me just say one more thing. you got to fight that a bit because we live in a culture that communicates just the opposite. It's me first, me second, and me third. And Jesus turns that upside down. It's radical. He says, no, it's God first. You're not even second, Rob. You're third. That's the road to a happy life. That's makarios. That's internal joy anchored in an eternal God. That's how we do it in the kingdom of heaven. It's not you first, you second. It's you third. God first, other second, you third. The second angle that I want to look at humility at here is to be meek is to have an interior strength, or you might say an inner strength, but I, I like to ask the question is, how's your interior? How's it going on the inside? Because so much of life is based on the exterior. People get so impressed with, with kind of the, the outward evidences of who people are, but what's going on on the inside? Who are we at the core? 
that's what the Beatitudes teaches. It's all about the core. It's about the inner interior of people. You know, meekness is not weakness. We made that statement a moment ago, and, and Moses was, was meek, but he wasn't weak. Look at Numbers 12, verse 3. Moses was a humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth, and yet he demonstrated great interior strength as he dealt with Pharaoh and led a bunch of grumbling uh, Israelites across the desert to the you know, brink of the Red Sea and stepped in and got part of the waters and all that. I mean, that, that took some great interior strength. Jesus was not weak. It says in Matthew 12, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And yet Jesus cleaned the temple and uh, he confronted and he intervened in people's life in an amazing way. Some of the most powerful things I think of when I think of the humility of Christ is when he was on illegal trial and falsely accused and he didn't even offer a word to defend himself. He knew the path he was on. When he was on the cross, he didn't yell and scream at other people for false accusations and the illegality of what was happening. What did he do? He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He prayed for others. God first, others second, self third. In English, meek is not a highly thought of word a lot of times. I mean, we throw that around and it doesn't you know, garner up a lot of real you know, positive, powerful thoughts. But in Greek, the word praus, spelled P-R-A-U-S, was used to define horses trained for battle. Now listen to this. I came across this in my study, and I found this to just kind of put some light bulbs on for me. Wild stallions were brought down from the mountains and broke for riding. Some were used to pull wagons, some were raced, but the best ones were trained for warfare. They retained their fierce spirit, courage, and power, but were disciplined to respond to the slightest nudge or pressure of a rider's leg. They could gallop into battle at 35 miles an hour and come to a sliding stop at a word. They were not frightened by arrows, spears, or torches. Then they were said to be meeked. To be meeked was to be taken from a state of wild rebellion and made completely loyal to and dependent upon one's master. I think the application is clear. Have we been meeked? Have we been taken from a state of wild rebellion and made completely, completely is the key word there, loyal to, dependent upon our master? This illustration really rings true to me. I remember as a, a young guy in, uh, in high school, uh, I had a registered quarter horse. We would go hunting. I would take blaze. And, you know, I was really into that at that point in time. And there was a time where I said, you know, I think I'm going to try to break a horse. I'm going to try to break a wild horse. And I got up on Starfire the first time, and Starfire bucked me off, and it hurt really bad. And I got up a second time, which shows how smart I was, and I got bucked off, and it hurt worse I was halfway up the third time, and the thought went through my mind, my mom didn't have any dumb kids. And I got down and said, I'm going to let the professional train this horse. <laughs> Horses are strong. They are powerful. And our nature is powerful. And it needs to be trained. It needs to be disciplined. It needs to be dependent upon a master. And that kind of leads me to the final angle, and it kind of goes along with, with that one right there, and that is to be meek needs to be under control. 
And that's where we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. Galatians 5, and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Do I have emotional outbursts? Do I disrespect people by my emotional anger and disrespect? A meek person is self-controlled. A humble person is self-controlled. Life is often lived in a pressure cooker. And if we're not careful, we can explode on people. Do we have a long fuse or a short fuse? Blessed are the meek. An angle to look at meekness and humility is self-control. Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. The fruit of the Spirit and the Beatitudes, to me, kind of go together because they both describe the character traits of Christ, of what it means to be Christian. And when it comes to emotional self-control, look at Proverbs 16, 32. Better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. Blessed is the man and woman whose every instinct and every impulse and every emotion is under control. You say, Rob, that's impossible. In our own strength it is. That's why we need Christ. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who live under the authority of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Blessed are those who march to a different drumbeat in the kingdom of heaven and live their life to honor Christ and ask Christ for his spirit to flourish in us and flow through us. We need the Lord. I can't master my own emotions. I need God to help me. The lack of self-control ruined Alexander the Great. You remember the story? Who in a fit of uncontrolled temper in the middle of a drunken state hurled a spear at his best friend and killed him. No man can lead others if they can't first lead themselves. Think of the Bible stories of Saul and Samson and David. Uncontrolled emotions. And how about historical figures like Julius Caesar and even Benedict Arnold? Incredible applications all. Emotions and passions under control. Better than self-control, how about God control? Are your emotions and passions under God's control? Are you bursting out and, you know, emoting all over your spouse, your wife, your husband, your kids, your parents, and hurting the most precious people in the world? Do you respect family members? Do you tear others down with your words? Um, do you lose your temper in anger and rip on other people? Is your spirit bridled, reined in, to use the horse analogy, under submission to Christ? Do you seek to serve other people? My prayer is, God, help us get it right. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who desperately, who know they desperately need God. Blessed are those who mourn, those who run from sin as, qu as quick and as fast as they possibly can and determine, I want to live like Christ, love like Christ, and lead like Christ. And blessed are those who mourn, or blessed are those who are meek, who are humble, who are not egocentric, narcissistic, full of hubris, pride, or arrogance. I'm not sure who penned this poem, but it's a beautiful poem, and I want to close with this. Let this be our prayer. Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer will be for others. 
Let self be crucified and slain and buried deep all within that's vain. May my efforts be to rise again and live my life for others. And when our work on earth is done and my new work in heaven begun, may I forget the crown I've won while thinking still of others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be, help me to live for others that I might live for thee. And may that start first in our families. May we build great, strong family relationships. And if yours is struggling today, I want you to know there is great hope in Jesus Christ to get back on track, to get back on track and to rebuild that hope and whatever you feel you may have lost. I want you to bow your hearts and heads with me, would you, as we pray. And as we pray, I just want you to start by asking yourself this question. What is my personal application of beatitude number three, blessed are the meek? For some of you, I hope it is that if you are far from God, that you would say, Lord, I want to make peace with God through faith in Christ. I want to become a Christian. I want to become a Christ follower. I want to get the first beatitude covered. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who understand. They have an accurate assessment of themselves. They understand they need God. And if that's you here today, would you just pray this prayer? Lord, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you. I want to put you first. I want to be a Christian. Just pray that simple prayer. And if you do, please, please tell me about it. On that connection card in front of you, if you're here in the service or if you're online, on the online connection card, just say, hey, today I prayed that prayer to commit my life to Christ. Please, please let me know about it. We want to send you some helpful information on the next step, the next step in your spiritual journey. Today, I want to commit my life to Christ. Lord, come into my life. Pray that prayer. He will hear you. He will flood your life with his presence. He'll give you the strength and the ability to move to the second beatitude and the third beatitude. He will help you strengthen your relationships. He will help guide your way. Commit your life to Christ. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you say, Rob, I know the Lord, but you know life has been crazy and I'm just bouncing all over uh, the world and the walls and I'm just not focused. And today I want to recenter, recenter my life in Jesus Christ. I want to recommit my life to his values. I want to refocus on his scripture. I want to recalibrate my life and get it ordered according to the Beatitudes and the teachings of Jesus. Would you just pray that prayer? And finally, if you're here today and you'd say, Pastor Rob, I'm having struggles in some of my important relationships and I need God to help me. In fact, with every head bowed and every eye closed in this worship center, how many would raise your hand and say, I, I just need God to help me with certain relationships in my life? Just lift your hand to the Lord. Just lift it. Yeah, as I would guess, so many hands all over this place. It's one of the most important areas of our life and also one of the most challenging. And we need God's help. And Lord, I just pray for those that just lifted their hands. For those that are listening at home or in our other venues, that, Lord, I pray that you will just flood their life and circumstances and give them guidance and grace to be the people, God, that you want them to be and to bring healing and wholeness to those precious relationships. Healing, Lord, in Jesus' name. Today we recenter our lives in you. We recommit our lives to you. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
We're going to sing a final song and be dismissed in just a moment. Our prayer team is here, and we would uh, just invite everybody to stand. If you'd like to come down for prayer, if you'd like to have prayer for a relationship, we invite you to come down. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a final song, and then we're going to be dismissed. God bless you.